You're listening to the Denver Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by RICO, your local guide for all things real estate investing in Colorado. What's up, Colorado? Chris Lopez here, and today's podcast is our monthly market roundup with our new format. So last month, we had myself, Preston, and Joe on here, but this time we have the full crew in here to talk multiple markets and have different angles on here. So starting off with Jenny Bayless in Colorado Springs. Good morning, Jenny. Good morning. How's it going, you guys? Really good. Good. We got Preston Newberry here to talk Denver stats. Preston, how are you? I'm doing great, Chris. Thanks for having me back. All right. Travis Fear with Renova Financial. Travis, how are you? Great, Chris. How are you? Very good. Last but not least is Joe Massey with Castle & Cook Mortgage. What's Happy up, Joe? Happy to see you guys. Excited for another great podcast. Chris, as always, thanks for having us. Yeah, this is... Uh, I'm having a lot of fun with these. So as we get into uh, these new formats, a little more roundtable, less stats heavy, more people talking. Listeners, viewers out there, if you guys have certain questions or feedback or things you want us to talk about, let us know. Uh, the whole goal of this is to mimic stuff that we talk internally in our like just you know normal chats, what we hear with clients, hear with other agents and professionals around town, and just try to give everyone an update in 30 minutes or less as to what is going on in the market. So Preston with Envision Advisors is going to talk some Denver stats. Preston, what is going on? Man, there's been a lot of headlines over the last month about everything happening in the real estate market, from interest rates going up to increasing inventory and everything that's going on in the market right now. And I think the big thing to realize is that, you know, talking percentages over what the actual numbers are is a big difference. So we're always going to see headlines. We're going to see big percentage numbers about what's going on. But the reality is the market, yes, it's changing a little bit, but, you know, it's still uh, still moving along and it's still a little bit in the seller's favor right now. I mean, you know, from active listing side of things, We've seen, you know, a 24% increase over the last month, but that means we've gone from, you know, like 2,600 homes, um, you know, on the active market, whereas last year we had, you know, probably about 15 to 1,600, right? So we're not seeing a huge jump in inventory. Yes, there's more stuff on the market, but prices are still going up. It's still very active and we're still seeing a lot of competitive offers out there right now. So the average inventory level, um, you know, for... A uh, market like Denver is around like 15,000, 16,000, you know, homes, condos on the market for it to be balanced market. And we're still around, what, 3,000 right now? Yeah, we're around 2,600 to 3,000. I actually did a, a quick search right before we got jumped on here. Um, we kind of circ- focus on like a 15 to 20 mile radius of Denver is kind of what our sweet spot is. Um, and within a 20 mile radius of Denver, as of this morning, there were 2,200 active listings across all segments. So single family, townhouse, condo, everything, which is not a lot of homes. That's I mean, not very many. No. Historically for April, uh, you know, across the last, what is it, 35 years, we should have about 14,500 listings, which would be a balanced market for us. So quite a big difference there. All right. So still very low inventory. Yeah. We're seeing it creep up some, presumably because of the increased interest rates. That's something, my theory. Anyone going to challenge me on that theory? I don't know anything about interest rates. So yeah. whatever you say is good. Nothing. Okay. <laughs> I, know, I like that. Um, but Jenny, uh, you do a lot of stuff in Springs and Pueblo. Um, a lot of deals down there. What do you see in terms of like some stats inventory for Springs and Pueblo? So really the same thing on, you know, a general scale as Denver, um, we saw a record median sales price for the month, um, at 480,000, which 
I, I can't believe that. Last year, right? That's that's a lot for uh, for Colorado yeah. Springs. So a year ago it was four twenty um, for for median. Um, same thing though. We're we're seeing a little bit more active inventory from a percentage standpoint. What Preston called out, you know, it says thirty one percent increase in total active, but it's really less than two hundred um, numerically. So five thirty six to seven oh six. Um, and you know, we still only have two weeks of supply. So it, it's the same thing. We are seeing, um, inventory creep up a little bit, but prices are still going up. Um, so I think it's still a good time to be a seller. All right. So from a very high level, I mean, the market has been about the same as we've talked about for, for many, many months now. Inventory is creeping up some, some, yeah. um, still very much in the seller's market. Now, kind of moving away from the stats, uh, we have two lenders here, Joe and Travis, two brokers here, Preston, Jenny. From the day-to-day stuff, what are you guys seeing? I'm going to start with you, Travis, since you've spoken the less so far. Like, you're out sure. there doing deals. What's kind of like the, the pulse of the market you're seeing now with, with the environment and interest rates? Yeah, I mean, um, I guess maybe specifically to like the fix and flip uh, clients, since that's kind of where the residential piece would fit, is how important it is to do a great job and to list it at the right price. Um, I don't see much sensitivity from interest rates uh, for somebody whose business is fixing and flipping, as an example, because if this is their all-time business, then they have to adjust and continue to move forward. And although rates are high today, relatively, compared to a couple of years ago, it's really not that far off. Now, compound that with increased prices, the payments are going to move significantly, but um, it's really about having a really good product to be in price. Right. I think that where you're seeing the listing sit uh, or through the weekend or even longer is when it's not priced right, when every detail isn't complete and you're trying to get the absolute best price. I'm not always in favor of pricing below the market, but I think pricing maybe a little less and let the market dictate your price rather than the reverse where you start high and hope that somebody brings you that offer. You don't... Uh, get that opportunity to negotiate that where somebody you say, well, why wouldn't they just bring me an offer at 25 less or whatever? Because the expectation of the market right now is that the list price is the starting price. So I think that we should deliver that. Um, on the side of finding deals, I mean, inventory is tight, but the good news is, I, I kind of say this all the time, but looking back to when I got in this business, you could buy a house right off the MLS, fix it up, put it on the market to sell it. And it took you 90 days to sell it. And you were stressing the entire time. <clears throat> Fast forward to today, it might take you 90 days to find the deal, but you do the work, you price it right. You should sell it the first weekend or, or second week or whatever it is. I mean, the process hasn't changed, yeah, right? Which it's is better. The same stuff. I, I don't know. It's like, it's <laughs> yeah. like, which is better? Well, the last one, it took a little longer, but the deals were easier. Now it's harder uh, to find them, but easier to sell. So you have to determine what works best for your business. All right. Joe. What do you, what do you see in the market here? Like you're, I mean, you see a lot of transactions mm -hmm. and just to clarify, Travis does a lot of like private money financing for fixed and flips, non-traditional lending. Joe, you do a ton of conventional lending for house hacks, investment properties, and mm -hmm. primary residences. So in the lending space, but some different products on there. Yeah. What are you seeing in your, from your side of the table? Um, you know what? I'm seeing a lot of people be really nervous about interest rates increasing. Um, you know, over the last what, 120 days, interest rates have gone up faster than at any time in history. All right. So a lot of people are thinking, oh my God, the world is ending. Interest rates went from 3% to now five and a half or 5.75, or maybe even 6% if you're an investor. Must be, it must mean the bubble is bursting and the market is coming to a stop, right? Well, it's not. Um, we had very low interest rates for a very long period of time. You know, we had super low rates in 2020, 2021, but even prior to that, 2018 and 2019 rates were on the downslide. Um, and so we've had three to four years, depending on when you really measure it, of 
extraordinarily low interest rates. Now we're getting back to normal, right? A lot of people forget the average 30-year fixed interest rate over the last 45 years is 8.6%. So if we're at- Wait, wait, say that again? 8.6% is the average 30-year fixed interest rate over the last 45 years. So we are still three points below average, right? So we get this short-term memory of, yeah, but last year it was this. That's true, but last year was extraordinarily low. Now we're getting back to the normal level. Now it stinks for an individual homeowner, right? Because, hey, I could have bought a home last year. My payment would have been $2,000. Now I'm buying a home this year. My payment's $3,000. So the individual, it's it's a tough conversation. Well, and then you couple that with the rising prices, right? I mean, we've gone up right. about 17%, I think, since this time last year. So that's right. we've add that into the mix and people get a little scared. That's right. So individuals get scared, but the market is not going to stop because we still have too many people moving here, too strong of an overall economy, um, and it's too good of a place to live. So I don't believe we're seeing the bubble burst. I know that wasn't your question, but that's what I hear a lot of people talking about and a lot of people concerned about. Well, that was actually my next question. So I'm glad you brought up there because I mean, all this leads into exactly that. Like people are, are, they're worried right now and, you know, change is change. But as Travis said, there's always, there's always something good. There's always something not so good. Um, But as we talk about this, yeah, I want to give people data insight into what the market may or may not do. And Mm -hmm. I agree. I don't think the bubble is bursting. So... Preston, I'm going to uh, go to you next. Then Jenny, yep. you're you're on the broker side. Uh, you're, you do buys, you do listings. What are you seeing in the market in terms of, like competitiveness and how things are have changed the last two or three months? It's definitely cooled off a little bit. But when to kind of speak to Travis's point, when you have your property priced correctly and the demand is there and you set the expectations with your clients, then it's still pretty normal as far as that goes, right? The problem that, or the thing that we're seeing out there is when you have people that are either overpricing their property or there's some other thing related to the property that may be a little bit you know, of a detriment to that property, whether it's on a busy street or maybe the basement's not finished, whatever that may be, compared to the competition that that property is competing with, that's when you're gonna see that property sitting on the market a little bit longer especially if they haven't priced it accordingly compared to the competition, right? I think that's the big thing. So, you know, I think it just gets back down to brokers doing their job and setting an expectation with their client and being realistic with what's going on in the market. I mean, deals are still getting done. Stuff's still, you know, moving off the off the uh, floor and it's just, you know, it is what it is. Jenny, from your perspective? Yeah, same thing. Um, Typically, I'm a buyer's agent, but I've had two listings over the last month and just kind of exactly what Preston said. You know, we we spent a lot of time making sure that it was priced correctly and both clients got significantly above um, list offers. And surprisingly, um, both appraisals came in at the above list offer, which that's something that we were kind of, you know, whining and complaining about last year was that buyers were having to bring extra money to closing. So there's always something. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's very interesting. Just like what Travis said, the list price is the starting price. So you have to make sure that that is appropriate, um, going into it. Well, and I think the other interesting thing, just to kind of give a little bit of a case study too, is I actually had two listings over the last month in the exact same condo complex. And we didn't want to list them at the same time because we didn't want to compete with ourselves. And we put one on the market and priced it, you know, where the market should be. Right. And we ended up having over 40 showings the first weekend. We had like 10 offers, like it was bananas. We got that one under contract. The following week, we listed the next one. 
we had 15 showings and only had three offers, right? From one week to the other. And it's basically the exact same product, same layout, same condo, everything. One was a top floor, one was a bottom floor. So that was the only difference between the two units. What was the difference in list price between them two? $10,000. Okay. Yep. So, hmm. um, and actually one of the, the, for the second listing, one of the offers from the first came back around and competed for the second one. And, and we ended up closing with them, but I thought it was just really interesting from one week to another exact same product huge demand, ton of offers, and it cooled off literally within a week. Wow. I mean, that that is- But they're both closing study. at almost the exact same price. That's a really good case study. <laughs> yeah. It makes you wonder how much uh, fatigue is created when you've got all of these people parading around town, seeing these units, making offers, like getting beat up, and then the next one pops up. It's like, why would I even take another yeah, run? Yeah, why out? would I compete? Well, yeah. yep. so that brings me to a point that I think this is an opportunity for buyers right? Because so many people are beat up. So many people are like, oh, this market's just too difficult. This is where I think we're going. And I would love your guys' opinion on this. Remember in 2010, 2011, 2012, a buyer could get pre-approved on Friday, go out and look at 15 homes on Saturday, go out and look at their top three choices again on Sunday, make an offer on Monday or Tuesday on one of their top three, get it under contract at the list price or maybe a little bit less and get some seller concessions. That was a pretty good market, right? And everybody now is upset that buyers, there's 40 showings, there's 20 offers, buyers can't get anything, they've got to overpay. Well, there was the same, roughly the same number of transactions in 2012 as there's going to be this year. The only difference is buyers are not going to be so shortchanged right now. They're going to get back to where they've got a little bit more negotiating power. They're going to get back to where they've got a little bit more say in what happens with the offer. Um, and I don't think that that's a bad thing. Well, and they can also be a little bit more selective, right? If there's a little bit more inventory and there's not as much competition, they're not going to be freaking out to just get something under contract and put an offer in on the very first place they see or whatever they think they can get. They can actually, you know, get something and, and have some options and some choices. Well, you yeah. can go to the sell side in that same scenario. If there's more choices for buyers, that means that people who have said, well, I'm not going to sell because where am I going to go? Now they may have a place to go and that would then their house becomes inventory, right? Likely yep. at a lower price point because they're moving up. So, I mean, I think that more inventory is good for buyers and it's, it's also good for sellers. Sometimes it's hard to remember that when you're trying to squeeze every last dollar out of your listing, but a little <laughs> more inventory, knowing that you don't have 60 people parading through your house, you know, you got to leave town or whatever, uh, just so you can accommodate all the showings, how, you know, you have to really have a great agent to uh, sift through 40 show uh, offers and which one's the best, highest certainty. There's yep. just a lot of moving pieces. Well, and I can tell you from the broker's perspective, too, we would kind of walk them a little bit of a slowdown. I mean, it's really hectic right now. And, you know, trying to juggle all that and, you know, act as quick as you can and just, you know, be on the go 24 seven for your clients, which is what we do. You know, it creates some fatigue on the broker side of things too. And you see it from just doing transactions with other, with other brokers and just the communication and just the overall market right now in general. One other thing too, getting 40 offers doesn't mean that this is so great as compared to somebody that gets five offers, which are generally your best. The three offers, right? There's generally the top three, which oftentimes are your first three. The other two to 37 other offers are kind of just noise, right? Your three offers are going to be the top three. They're going to stand out. All those other ones are just extra work. So to get to a point where you're going to get three to five offers on a property, I think that's fully appropriate from a work standpoint Absolutely. and from getting the best top dollar for your seller. Sure. Uh, I want to go back because uh, you started kind of going 10 years ago to 2010, 2012 timeframe, Joe. Paint us a picture, if you could, like, what was inventory like and what were interest rates back then? 
Well, I'm glad you asked because I have a slide right here. How handy. <laughs> so in, somebody came prepared. <laughs> in 2012, let's just let's pick July 2012. There was inventory of roughly 11,000 homes and there was roughly 5,000 sales that occurred in July of 2012. And interest rates, I don't have that, but I want to say interest rates were 6 to 6.5%. I, mean, I think they were higher than they are today, yeah, right? Yeah. Six to 6 to 7. Um, today, inventory, uh, again, Preston gave this number out, I think it's 2,200 or 2,600, you said. Yeah. Um, and there's going to be roughly 5,000 sales, or there were roughly 5,000 sales in the month of April. So that right there is a telling point that buyers had a lot more choices. Sellers had fewer buyers chasing their homes, right? And so interest rates are roughly the same now. Prices have gone up, so your monthly payment is going to be more. I understand that. But theoretically, over the last 10 years, hopefully your income has gone up. Kind of everything has inflated over the last 10 years, right? Um, so I think it's going to be, I would like to see that we get some more inventory and get back to a more balanced market. I don't know if we'll get to 10,000 or 12,000 homes on the market, but if we get to six or 7,000, I think would be a great market. Well, it'd be like yeah. the market we had like three or four years ago when we used to complain about low inventory until <laughs> yeah. we had this COVID thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other thing I'm interested in seeing, because I mean, you, you were holding up like one of my favorite charts, which I think uh, DMAR published a lot, which was just inventory versus sold. Mm -hmm. I think it's like, what, a year and a half ago or so, we actually had more properties under contract than we had active inventory. Then we had active inventory. Which yeah. is a very interesting, like, we'll, and we'll put the graph on, on the YouTube, um, YouTube video and the blog post. But it's very interesting because we actually had more properties under contract, say 5,000 under contract mm -hmm. and 2,000 inventory. That math is really hard to make work for the long right. run. I'm curious when they kind of flip back and forth. I'm not sure what the, the term is for that. Yeah. I mean, come with some like cool inverted. I'll think up story. Yeah. But I remember when this chart first came out, which was back in 2015, 16, when we had this declining inventory, yet sales were going up. And Charles Roberts was the first person that showed me this. And he said, you know, this is so interesting because these two lines are getting really close together. He's like, they can't ever cross because you always need more listings than actual sales, right? And then what do you know, April of 2020, the lines cross that we have more sales than we have active inventory because something comes on the market, gets under contract and closes before the end of the month, right? And so you're right. At some point, it's going to flip back where we're going to have more inventory and fewer sales. Well, fewer percentage sales. We'll, we'll still close roughly 5,000 yeah, we'll every month because that's ideals. what the market does. Uh, but we'll have 6,000, 7,000, 8,000 homes on the market. I'll be excited when that uh, inverts as well. Yeah. I think it'll be later this year. I'm too afraid to give any uh, estimates I, on that. Yeah, I, I think anybody that says they know that is maybe pulling your leg. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's one way to say it. Um, so going back to that chart there, um, Jenny, kind of, I, I know you have similar trends in Springs and Pueblo. I think everything pretty much mirrors similar stuff to what Joe was just talking about up here, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. So no, no big changes on there. And you mentioned April, May of 2020. And that was when actually, like, either the market froze there for a few weeks. And then there I mean, was the a world froze. <laughs> yeah, maybe, <laughs> like, I mean... But there was like, what, six weeks there, there were like I've almost like no transactions and you couldn't see the property. Yep. Um, but there was, I, I feel like, a very golden window there for like a couple months as a lot of people were afraid, sales were kind of freaking out, where a lot of people, we had a lot of clients, mm -hmm. were encountering some good properties. And that was kind of like that market shift right there that people freaked out for a bit. Are we kind of going through a similar little, I'll say, overall market freak out, but right now might be a good time looking back to go in there and, and score a couple properties? 
Any thoughts on that? I don't think it's as big of a freak out, quote unquote. I think it's definitely an adjustment, um, you know, and I think with the rising interest rates, it's allowed some of the buyers that are not as well qualified to have to take a step back from the market. Um, but I don't think, I don't think it's anywhere near like what we saw, you know, when the pandemic first started. What do you think, Joe? I agree. It's not as much of a freak out, but it is a time that the market is freaking out. I'm sure you guys are familiar with the, the quote. I can't remember who said it, but when there's blood in the streets by real estate, meaning if there's panic and things are going on and everybody else is putting their hands in their pocket and saying, I'm not going to do anything, that is your opportunity to buy and the market will correct itself. The market will likely continue to appreciate um, as we've seen over the last 45 years. Right now is a great time for buyers. We were discussing um, before the show that there's opportunities for buyers right now. And I think it's still a great time. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, you know, I think that two things, one is, uh, when you talk about the ability to get under contract, maybe if your second favorite property is still on the market on Monday, then, then you go make a run at that. Right. Because we've conditioned sellers to think if you don't have an offer on Friday at two o'clock, that there must be something wrong. This is, this is crazy. What's the problem? Why don't we get a hundred grand over? So a good opportunity to, to slide in there and say, Hey, you know, this property is still on the market. Let's see if we can put a deal together. Also, um, something I've heard from multiple listing agents is getting offers above the list price when there's no competitive, there's no, not a competitive situation. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's important on the buy side to, to kind of flush that a bit. I mean, for whatever reason, we've also conditioned that the list price is the starting price, as I mentioned previously. And and that may be true in some scenarios, but not all. I was just talking to my neighbor, uh, seasoned real estate agent, who was telling me about this offer he got. It was almost 10% over uh, list price on a property where he didn't have any other offers on it. And uh, <laughs> just flush that out. And, and maybe your escalation clause needs to be a little cleaner or whatever it is so that you're not putting your uh, buyers into those scenarios and potentially creating regret. Can I interrupt there for a second? I think this talks more than a lot of the times that it is important to have great representation, right? It is important to have a great agent like Preston, like Jenny, like other folks on the Envision team, because agents are so conditioned to, okay, list price, we got to go above, we got to have a prison gap. That's not necessarily true. That might've been true six weeks yep. ago, but you need a great representative, a uh, great broker representing you right now to make sure you don't accidentally overpay. Right. So I think you're spot on. And we've had that same exact scenario on the Envision Advisors team with, with several clients over the last couple of weeks where we've had to actually coach them and be like, hey, we don't have to go crazy right now. Like, yeah, we need to put a competitive offer in, but it's not like it was three or four weeks ago, right? And I know that, again, that's what they've been conditioned to. Like, oh, we just got to go swing for the fences and see what can happen. But having an agent that's able to communicate and know what's going on on the other side of the deal um, is key to anything, and especially in this changing market. It's also not good for the seller in that scenario because how are you going to get it to appraise significantly over ask when you don't have six other offers to yep. back up and mm -hmm. say, not only would have four offers, we had mm. 40 showings or whatever. Now you have the data to support a higher uh, valuation than the list price. But if you just offered higher then now what, when you come to the appraisers like, okay, so I see here that they offered $40,000 over. Was it a competitive situation? No. Well, with uh, themselves. Right. <laughs> how, how do you justify that value? They just really like the house. Yeah. Okay. They got to pay the 40 grand. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and then the higher likelihood of that falling out because now they're having to cover the, the difference as you see on the lending side. Jenny, are you seeing some of the same stuff in the Springs? Yeah. And interestingly enough, I, I would say that more listing agents are are being more forthcoming instead of the, you know, the phrase I, I dislike highest and best, you know, no disclosure going in and saying, Hey, what is the highest, you know, what's your best offer right now? And 
many of them are willing to share. So just go a little bit over that and beat it out cleaner terms. And, um, you know, that has been uh, a saving grace for sure. Yep. So one of the stats uh, that stuck out to me was that in April this last month, this is for, for Denver Metro, that there is a 7% premium to asking price. So that's the overbid. So, you know, for every $100 spent, uh, an extra $7, 7% went over it. I think we're going to see that uh, premium start coming down. I agree. We're not going to see a 7% premium in May. That's not sustainable. Yeah. It's not sustainable over the long term. Yeah. We're going to get back to, the, uh, for a long time, it was a reduction, right? The average was 97% or 98% of the list price. I don't think 7% premium is sustainable in the long term. No, but I think the the flip side to that is also going to be pricing properties correctly, like yep. we've talked about multiple times here, right? Because that's a percentage of whatever the property was listed at. So as things change and as things evolve a little bit, sellers and listing agents are going to have to get a little bit more in tune with pricing properties correctly. Instead of just throwing something at the wall and letting the market determine what it's worth, you're going to have to be a little bit more scientific about that because comps are going to start dictating that a lot more. Um, and you know, as things get a little bit older and, and the market moves on, and now all of a sudden you don't have comps that are $100,000 where you think you should list this price, this property at, you're going to have to to really set that expectation. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, I think there'll be some opportunity out there because, I mean, as a market, you know, cools off ever so slightly, um, you could throw any property, any price out there, the market would about save you. Um, mm -hmm. Always some exceptions on there. Mm -hmm. But now, as we talked about, it's going to take more skill, a little more science to back it up. Yep. And so for agents or sellers or both that don't like take the data or have that realistic expectations, I think there'll be some interesting opportunities there as people like overprice it, uh, either due to greed or just due to like, not doing lack of being knowledge, good at yeah. inexperience. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think that uh, you're right that I think premiums will come down, but there's like multiple factors that are going to drive that. One, we're already seeing less showings per property, right? So you're going to have less competitive situations. But let's say for the sake of conversation, using the seven uh, percent that uh, last month somebody sold their uh, was listed for. 700,000 and they got 750. So they got 7% higher. But next month I list my house for 750 and get 750. I still got 7% higher than what it was in the previous month, but the, the data doesn't show that I got above asking. So I think mm -hmm. it's important to remember like, just because we're not going to see a percentage over, we're likely going to see prices continue to creep. And as the president mm -hmm. said, like the actual correct list price rather than a hundred grand over. And it's not to say, even if we get back to 99%, would you rather have got 99% of your list price today or 107% of your list price a year ago, right? right. It, it, the, you're going to make more money today. So today. At, at the end of the day, the market is going to determine the price, right? right? So, you know, wherever you list it at and whatever it closes at, I mean, the market's going to tell you if you did your job or not. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to move on to a question that Jenny had. But before I do that, we've hit some stats, and we've only shared some stats that, uh, you know, uh, different uh, places publish around here. Go to the blog post, all these stats we talked, and a lot more on that blog post. We really want, like, the nitty-gritty details on there. We just don't cover them because we don't want to put you to sleep on a podcast. But, Jenny, before this, uh, we hit record on this podcast, you had a question uh, that you wanted to ask us kind of throughout there as a roundtable. So let's jump into that because it was a very interesting question and we started discussing, we had to like time out and actually record because it was really good. Yeah, so I wanted to ask everyone on the panel, what stat or what market condition would make you worried as an investor? Because I think, you know, we get a lot of, um, we're getting more concerned questions from investors, uh, whether or not it's the right time to buy. I think everyone at this table still agrees it's a good time to buy. So what, what needs to change for you to answer, uh, answer it in the negative? Let's start with Joe. You want me to go first? Yeah. This is going to be such an unconventional answer. 
outbound <laughs> migration. If we saw 25,000 people, 30,000, 40,000 people a year leaving the Denver metro area, I would be very concerned. Like overall, like us, like rather than population growing, we're mm-hmm. net, net negative. Net, net migration, yeah. net negative migration would concern me in our market. Okay. Travis. Yeah, that's hard to follow, man, because that's yeah, really good. Where do you go with that? <laughs> well, the, the migration thing is interesting because it's a lagging indicator. So at mm-hmm. the end of the year, you get the U-Haul or Penske report of where the trucks went, right? <laughs> yeah. And they all left San Francisco and went to Austin or whatever, right? So like, so the problem is it's a lagging indicator. So then off all of a sudden, and for so many years, we've seen this um, net migration, so much, so much growth, but you felt it throughout the year, but you didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's actually really good. Uh, my thought was when uh, Jenny asked it initially was inventory. I, I feel like inventories is a lot of what caused the the crash last time, other than lending practices and things that went with that. But, but the inventory, and as we see inventory rise, as we've all noted, a little bit of inventory would be fantastic. Just take a little pressure off. But if we start to get to that six month of inventory mark or wherever we learned in real estate school was a balanced market. Like then I'm starting to think, oh, wow, like this is, this is getting interesting because now uh, it's so much less competitive. That would have to mean that price increases are coming down. Um, And so that's what it is for me, but I don't think it's going to come through building because from a municipality standpoint, most of them up and down the front range, you can't get to building permits and Mm -hmm. through construction fast enough. So I don't think that construction is going to have a meaningful impact on inventory, which seems like the most natural place for it to come from which is where the migration is interesting because that that could create inventory in a relatively short period of time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I agree with you guys. I I think supply and demand, which is ultimately inventory, how much supply do we have? How much demand I think is the best indicator in the world? Like, you know, from Econ 101, pull everything down to, are we growing or are we shrinking in terms of population inventory or uh, supply? I think inventory is a great way to do that. So if it gets really high, I'll be worried. Uh, But to give a different stat on there as well, um, I would say if interest rates got above 10%, I have seen, I think from some of your data, Joe, maybe some of Alon's data, um, that historically when rates, interest rates get at about 10%, that there there's some type of like flip that switches in terms of like demand and mm-hmm. pricing. I know you may have a better idea, so that step that's always stuck with me. Yeah, there is no correlation between increased interest rates and decreased buyer demand so long as rates remain below 10%. Once rates go above 10%, there is actually correlation that buyer demand will go down simply because of the lack of affordability when rates are that high. But below 10%, if rates are at 9.99, buyers can still afford to buy, generally yeah. speaking. Now, on the flip side of all this, I want to give one other kind of like, and here on the other side is just, I mean, we're still seeing massive rent growth. And while we are, no one's happy with the interest rates increasing, as a lot of us mentioned, that's driving out a lot of like the 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 first time home buyers, you know, people that can't qualify. Mm-hmm. Where do those people go? They're going They're to gonna rent. rent from someone. Do you know what uh, the rent cost is, or the, do you know what the interest rate is on rent? No, a hundred percent. That's good. <laughs> My dear, never heard that before. Yeah, Preston, what do you think? What's what's your <clears throat> I think one of the big things that would scare me is probably from the lending side of things. And that would be lenders starting to loosen up guidelines way too quickly or way too much. Um, because, you know, I think obviously they've had a ton of business from refis over the last few years that for the most part has kind of gone away from my understanding and from what you see in the market. And as things slow down and things change and, you know, lenders are going to need, you know, to do more business. Right. I think that that would be one of the things that would kind of scare me is if they start loosening guidelines and opening things up to people that are not as well qualified, because again, we're just going to be back to square one again. Mm -hmm. So 
What about Jenny? You, Jenny? What do you think, Jenny? Yeah, What's your question? question? Oh, man. So I guess to touch on something that hasn't been discussed necessarily uh, on the table is um, one thing that would would you know, kind of worry me a little bit is if people like collectively had, um, a different mindset on living situations. So like if everyone decided, Hey, we're going to house hack by family, or we're going to combine two families to live in one home as, as just a given, um, taking a lot of buyers, you know, or even renters, I guess, out of the market, um, for an individual home, I think that would be, um, you know, kind of, detrimental uh to the market so really you think like an increase in average household size right i think the average household size is like 2.5 people if that were to go to Mm -hmm. four people that makes a lot of sense because you're packing more people into less square footage yeah it's actually yeah it's really interesting because historically if you'd asked me this question last year or five years ago i would have said affordability because everything just seems to be getting so expensive how can people continue to make mortgage payments and or these really high rent payments um and if uh, affordability becomes an issue, then this exact scenario happens where you've got people uh, sharing households and uh, and that Mm -hmm. could obviously affect inventory and demand potentially. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it takes more people to afford that one monthly payment, right? right? Yep. That's a good good one. Yeah. All right. Well, guys and lady, this was another great podcast. (laughs) I love this new round table. Hopefully you guys are feeling the same. Um, but as just a quick recap, as we close out here again, all the stats, all the details, all the graphs will be in the show notes on there. So check out the blog post for all, all those. If you can't find them, email one of us. If you guys need help, you know, buying properties in Denver Springs, Pueblo, reach out to me, Jenny Preston on Vision Advisors. If you guys can help with lending, Travis and Joe are some of our go-to resources and lenders on here. Uh, you guys can't go wrong with any of them. So everyone's contact details in the show notes. I appreciate you guys listening and everyone coming out. Uh, today to record the podcast. So thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Chris. Chris.